الحمد لله وكفى وسلاما على عباده الذين استفى اما بعد اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ان الذين امنوا وعملوا الصالحات سيجعل لهم الرحمن ودا سبحان ربك رب العزه اما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد ومبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد ومبارك وسلم الله سبحانه وتعالى has made different ways in this world to join two things if you want to join two pieces of paper you will have glue to join them together if you want to join two bricks you will use cement to join them together if you have two pieces of wood you will use nails to join them together if you have two pieces of iron or steel you will weld them and you will join them together if you have two pieces of plastic then you will have to heat and melt them and mold them together if you have two pieces of fabric cloth you will have to use needle and thread to join them together so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made a way in this world to join every two things together. So then the real question is that what has Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made to join the two human hearts together? And the answer of that is deen of Islam. Deen of Islam is the real bond and glue and adhesive between two human hearts. Which deen? That standard line Allah Ta'ala uses over and over in Qur'an الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ Those people who are on deen, they have iman and they do amal salih means ibadah, they worship Allah SWT and they do acts of virtue, acts of piety, acts of kindness they're doing amal salih That person who has these two things what did Allah subhanahu wa say about them in Qur'an? إِنَّ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ Indeed, those people who have iman and have righteous actions and deeds سَيَجْعَلُ لَهُمَ الرَّحْمَانُ وُدَّ That Allah rahman He places wudda means love and affection between them. Wudda is a slightly different word than muhabba. It means love, but it means especially affection, compassion, softness, Loving, caring feelings for one another. So what does that mean? That means that Qur'an al-Karim is true. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is true. If a person has iman and amal salih and the other person has iman and amal salih then guaranteed they will have affection for one another. So if ever they don't have affection for one another, they have dislike for one another, they have distance from one another, they have envy for one another, means necessarily either on one or both sides there's a weakness in either iman or amal salih guaranteed cannot happen no matter how great they may appear no matter how big ulama they may even be if there is hasad bughz envy jealousy hatred ill will negative feelings means that there must be some weakness in either the iman or the amal salih but if a person follows the deen completely, person has taqwa on both sides, then they will have love and affection for one another. 
So this is something that is true for the men, and this is also something that is true for the women. Even though we have men, but primary audience today is the women. If any women, Muslim, two Muslim women, have bad feelings towards one another, whether it's a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law, whether it's a wife and a sister-in-law, whether it's two sisters, whether it's two friends, whether it's two classmates, whether it's two neighbors, whether it's two cousins, whether it's two fellow students, talibat in the darululum, whether it's two fellow teachers, mu'allimat in an institute, if ever they have bad feelings towards one another, means that there's a weakness in their own deen. And if they had been able to have been trained to have proper iman and amal salih then Allah subhanahu Allah subhanahu ar-Rahman places wudda in them. And this is an especial reason why Allah ta'ala used that sifat of his. Not just Allah ta'ala puts wudda love in them, but that Allah ta'ala who has infinite mercy, He puts merciful tenderness, affection between them. So that wudda which is placed by ar-Rahman, nobody can take that out. <laughs> And unless we have that affection that is between us by place by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we won't have real compassion for one another. Greatest example of this is Sahaba Ikram. They had so much love and compassion and kindness and affection for one another. So what did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say about them in Quran? Ruhama'u <clears throat> baynuhum. Ruhama'u from the same root, Rahamim of Allah Ta'ala's Sifat, Rahman and Rahim. Ruhama'u Bainuhum. They're extremely merciful and compassionate between one another. Allahu Akbar. Why? Before Deen, they weren't like that. Right? Before Deen, all of you know in Jahiliyyah, there was tribal war, clan war, law of revenge, retaliation, blood feuds. No harmony, no peace, no love, no affection. And that's why Allah SWT explains in Quran, actually says to Sayyidina Rasulullah SWT says in Quran, لَوْ أَنْفَقْتَ مَا فِي الْأَرْضِ جَمِيعًا That if you were to have spent all of the money that exists in the world, this is going to teach you this ayah that money cannot buy love. You cannot spend money and get love and affection. Simply spending money does not fulfill the hukuk al-ibad. So what does Allah Ta'ala say like Sayyidina Rasulullah SWT in Quran? That if you had spent all of the money that exists on earth, ma alafta bainakulubihim, you would have never been able to join the hearts of the Sahaba. Allah. But however, it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah joined their hearts together. So much greater than money and financial relationship. What to join their hearts? Their iman and their a'mal salih. So it means that then they work as a in tandem. They work in a community. They have empathy and compassion for one another. I'll give you another example to understand this. That in the physical body, we have different parts of the body. So the eyes, they see, the ears, they hear, the tongue speaks and tastes, the hands are what we use for utility and work. Our legs and feet, they will take us from one place to the other. So all of these body parts are separate. Each separate part with its own separate function. But you will see a human body does not like that. It works all together. It works like one unit. Why? Because Allah Ta'ala has put something in the body that joins all of this together. 
and that is called the ruh. When a person has a ruh in their body, then every part works together. So if there's a headache, the legs and the feet will take that person to the doctor. They don't say that, oh, head, that's your problem, we're not going anywhere. They couldn't be bothered. Or somebody is attacking the head, the arm will say, that's, I'm not going to risk myself, I'll get hit instead. Your head is your problem. Huh? No. All the body parts they work together. Why? Because the rue is inside the body. But if you ever see what happens to a human being when the rue is taken out of the body, then all the connection is finished. So if you ever have tofiq to do ghusl or the mayat, if you ever wash a dead corpse, you will see. You can turn the head this way, you can turn it that way, you can lift the person's leg up, put it down, turn them on this side, turn them on that side. There's no response. Why? Because the ruh has left. Once the ruh has left, everything that was linking all the body parts together is gone. Just like that, you can take the example of our family. Just like the physical body had different separate parts, the family has different separate parts. Just like each body part had its own role, each family member has their own role. So the father is another member of family, he has his own role. Son is a different member, has his own role. Mother, she is a different member, she has her own role. Daughter, she has her own role. Wife, she has her own role. Husband, he has his own role. Sister, she has her own role. Brother, he has his own role. Everyone has a different function. But Allah Ta'ala has put a ruh into the family. If that ruh is there, then all of the family parts will work together like one unit. The name of that ruh is Deen Islam. That family that has Deen in it, then the father will be a father, the mother will be a mother, the son will be a son, the daughter will be a daughter. The son won't try to be a father, the daughter won't try to be the mother, the husband, wife won't try to be the husband, the husband won't try to be the wife. Everyone will function in its proper place if they have the ruh of the deen of Islam inside of them. So we want our families to function like that, that we have wudda and love between one another. We have rahmah, we have mercy to one another. Hmm? That we have to have deen of Islam. And we should also know, those who are mothers and fathers, that if we don't obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, cannot expect that Allah Ta'ala will make our families obedient to us. If we are not loyal to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we cannot expect that our families will be loyal to us. In fact, it is guaranteed, Allah Ta'ala said in Quran, مَن an yudzabihi That whomsoever does a sin, they will have to face the consequences of that sin. They will reap the jaza of that sin. If we are disobedient, we are disloyal, if we betray the sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallam, then we should be prepared for disobedience, disloyalty, and betrayal in our own home. If a woman, she backbites her friend, then she shouldn't be surprised if her mother-in-law, sister-in-law backbites her. She will reap what she will sow. مَنْ يَأْمَسُوءًا يُجْزَبِهِ Whatever she does, she will have to face the consequences of it. Now, for the man, it may come later, it may come now, it may be a friend, it may be a neighbor, it may be a business partner, somewhere on the line, if we disobey Allah Ta'ala, Allah Ta'ala will make somebody disobey us. This is only our own deeds coming back to haunt us 
This is why Allah Ta'ala mentions it so many times in Quran. بِمَا كَسَبَتْ أَيْدِيكُمْ This is only your own hands labor. You're only getting what you yourself earned. All of these difficulties and worries and betrayals and disloyalties that you face is because you allowed yourself to become distant to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in order to increase the love between the members of our family and in course to increase the love between people, we have to learn how to have this wudda, how to feel that love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that love that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put in our heart. The only way to do that is to give up our whole life for the deen and for the sunnahs of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So now what we're going to do for today, the topic of today is six things. Six things that our mashaykh have taught us, our own shaykh taught me, how a person can improve their life, their adab and akhlaq. And these are six things that a person has to avoid in their life. If they avoid these six things and have to avoid them both in their relationship in hukuk al-ibad and their relationship in hukuk Allah, if they avoid these six things, then they will be able to get that wudda, that love and affection and compassion back with one another. And if they avoid these six things, they will be able to get a loving relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Second reason we want to share this with you is because we want you to see what is it that a person learns from Mashaikh. Many people they think that they can learn deen on their own. They can understand deen on their own. Allah Ta'ala said in Quran, فَاسْأَلُوا أَحْلَ ذِكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ Allah Ta'ala said in Quran, كُنُوا مَا أَسَادِكِينَ Allah Ta'ala said in Quran, وَاسْبِرْ نَفْسَكَ مَا أَلَّذِينَ يَدْعُونَ رَبَّهِ Allah Ta'ala said in Quran, الرَّحْمَانِ فَاسْأَلْ بِهِ خَبِيرًا Allah Ta'ala said in Quran, وَاتَّبِهِ السَّبِيلَ مَنْ أَنَابَ إِلَيَّ Allah Ta'ala said pray in Quran, اِهْدِنَ السِّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ سِرَاطَ الَّذِينَ الَّذِينَ أَنْأَمْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ All of these ayahs are showing us in Quran that Allah Ta'ala is telling us to learn from people. <laughs> you, must, you need people. You need to ask those people. Sit with those people. Be in the company of those people. You have to make dua to Allah Ta'ala to grant you hidayah to follow the path of those people. Who are those people? They're called Siddiqeen and Salihin. There are four categories. Nabiyin, Siddiqeen, Shuhada and Salihin. Allah says in Quran, you have to follow the path of these four people. But Nabiyin are gone from this world. Shuhada by definition, they're gone from this world. You can follow their legacy and their teachings. But as far as living, living, you have two categories left. Siddiqeen and Salihin. And every single time you pray, every time you recite Surah Fatiha, you are making exactly this dua. When you say, اِهْدِنَ السِّرَاطُ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ سِرَاطُ الَّذِينَ أَنَمْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ Why? Because Allah Ta'ala said in Quran, أَلَّذِينَ أَنْعَمَ اللَّهُ مِنَ النَّبِيِّينَ وَالسِّدِّكِينَ وَالشُهَدَاءِ وَالصَّالِحِينَ That those people whom Allah Ta'ala has sent His favor and blessings on, they are these four categories. So two are left. So never ever be fooled by anyone who tells you that you don't need to follow anyone in deen and you don't need to listen to anyone in deen. That's against Quran. Quran is telling you you have to follow the path of the Siddiqeen and the Salihin. Quran is telling you Kunu Sadiqin, you have to be with them. Quran is telling you Fasalu, you have to ask them. Quran is telling you Man, you have to follow them. And the Biya Kareem Sassam said the same thing. What did he say? Ad Dinun Nasiha. 
Deen is Nasiha. <laughs> How can you say I don't need anybody's advice? When Sayyidina Rasulullah said, Ad-Deen al-Nasiha, all of Deen lies in good advice and counsel, all sincere counsel equivalent to Deen. So we want to show you what is this Nasiha? What is it that one learns from being in the company of the Mashaikh? So you understand. So six things that we have to avoid. It so happens in the Arabic language that each of these six things begin with the Arabic letter Ghayn. First thing is called Ghafla. Ghafla. Ghafla means literally to be heedless, to be mindless, to take for granted, not to take care. Not to be a good take care, caretaker. So let's see this first in Hukukulibad. This is the common complaint the wife and the husband have for one another. Right? The wife complains that the husband is not attentive towards me, is not caring towards me, doesn't fulfill my needs, doesn't attend to my needs. I tell him to do something, he comes back at home, he says, I forgot to do it. I remind him the next day again, he forgets to do it. Three, four days ago, he keeps forgetting to do it. That's ghafla. He's ghafla. He's not spending time with the children. Ghafil. He's rather watching his football match. That's your British cancer. Huh? They left one cancer in our country called cricket and they involved you in one cancer called football. Ghafil. So glued to the TV, he can't even, ignoring the kid, has a real life kid. Is more interested in the kid who's running around the field thousands of miles away from him. Unattentive, uncaring. This is a standard complaint the wife has about the husband. The husband has the same complaint about the wife. I tell her to do something, I go home, she didn't do it. I try to explain to her, it goes one year, out the other year. She doesn't care, she's not interested. (laughs) Inattentive, uncaring. What's the complaint? Same complaint, ghafla. Ghafla. Parents have sometimes the same complaint about their children when their children grow old. That our son, he's grown old, he's gotten married, now he's living his own life, he's not even in touch with us. Doesn't even inquire about us. He's not even in touch with us. He's ghafla. <laughs> Uncaring, unattentive towards us. Sometimes children, when they're growing up, they feel their way about their parents. That I'm 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, my parents don't have time for me. They're too busy in their own fights. They're too busy in their own worlds. Hmm? All they can do is send me money. Ghafla. Hmm? Ghafla. So what is the standard complaint between people? Ghafla. You can see it in the work also. You can see it in the masjid also. Teacher complains the student, student has ghafla. The boss says my employees have ghafla. They don't work conscientiously. Employee says the boss doesn't care about my needs, doesn't realize I have, I need a raise, doesn't realize I genuinely needed the vacation. Everywhere you go, ghafla. Common complaint people have towards one another is ghafla. So it means we have to remove this ghafla from our human relationships, from hukukul ibad. We have to learn to be more attentive, more caring of the rights and needs that others have over us. What does our deen teach us? Deen does not teach us that we are only responsible to fulfill the bare minimum right of the other person. That's what some people think. Is that what your deen taught you? Are you just a money machine? That I'm doing my duty every month, I give the paycheck. 
The word Allah Ta'ala uses in Quran, two words Allah Ta'ala uses in Quran, Ihsan and Ma'roof. Ma'roof means what is known. If Ma'roof I was to put to you in English in this sense, it means that you must fulfill the rights of others at a comfortable level of comfort. Not bare minimum. Comfortable level of comfort. Not bare minimum attention. You should give them a comfortable amount of attention. Not bare minimum love and affection. You have to give them a comfortable amount of love and affection. This is called maruf. And then the other word that Allah uses in Quran is ahsan. That's even more. Ahsan means excellent, best, virtuous, noble, beautiful, highest level of fulfillment. This is what deen is asking of us. Deen is not saying to have bare minimum relationships with one another. Either maruf, comfortable, fairly adequate, comfortable, good standard, or ihsan, highest level of standard. Highest level. Just like this ghaflat is a problem in the relationship between people, the same attribute, same ghaflat, causes a problem in the relationship between the abd and the rab. Yes, this is our problem. That we have ghafla towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why Allah ta'ala said in Quran, وَلَا تَكُمْ مِنَ الْغَافِلِينَ Don't you dare ever become amongst the people of ghafla. Allah ta'ala said in Quran, Don't you ever be heedless of him, unaware of him, forgetful of him, mindless of him, inattentive towards him, unwary of him. وَلَا تَكُمْ مِنَ الْغَافِلِينَ should never ever do it. <laughs> Another ayah Allah Ta'ala describes the people of Ghafla. What does he say about them? <laughs> the people of Ghafla, Allah Ta'ala describes them in Quran that they're like animals. <laughs> in fact, they're even lower than animals. Allahu Akbar. So we neglect Allah Ta'ala's commands, we neglect Allah Ta'ala's wishes, we're inattentive to Him. We were supposed to be wary of each and every single hukum and command. We were supposed to remember him every second. And we were so ghafil of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that even inside our ibadah, inside our salah, we are ghafil of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the height of ghaflat. So distant, so heedless, so mindless that even when we're doing sajda, we're unaware of him. And that's the problem. Same attribute that is a negative attribute of ghafla in our relationship with people, same attribute is negative in our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the first thing to avoid is ghafla. That is why the mashaykh, then they teach people to make dhikr. Why? Because Allah ta'ala said in Quran, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu thukurallaha dhikran kathira. Why is the word kathir? Because Allah ta'ala wants zero ghafla. When Allah ta'ala said, La tukum bina ghafleen, don't be in Amongst the people of ghafla means don't have even a drop of ghafla. How is that going to happen? Only when you have a kasrat of zikr. Only when you fill your heart and mind with zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, only then will you be sure that you won't fall into ghafla. And if your heart is empty of zikr, your mind is empty of zikr, that emptiness itself is none other than ghafla. Just being empty, that's also ghafla. Don't think ghafla means you have to be having bad thoughts. Or bad feelings. No. Empty. That mind which is empty of thoughts of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that is ghafla. That heart that is empty of feelings and remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that is called ghafla. So how to make sure something is not empty? Huh? If you have an empty box, 
I tell you, I don't, I don't want it to be empty. I told you, I don't want it to be empty at all. But what you do, you have to fill it up. You have to fill it up and pack it. That's what Allah Ta'ala said, أُذْكُرُ اللَّهَ ذِكْرًا كَثِيرًا You should pack your mind and heart with the zikr of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. When? All the time. أَلَّذِينَ يَذْكُرُونَ اللَّهَ قِيَامًا مُقْعُودًا وَعَلَى جِنُوبِهِمْ Oh, they're remembering Allah Ta'ala standing and sitting and even when they're lying down. All the time. رِجَالٌ لَا تُلْهِيهِمْ تِجَارَةٌ وَلَا بَيْءٌ عَنْ ذِكْرِ اللَّهِ even when they're engaged in the world, sale, commerce, nothing can distract them from the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They're full of Allah ta'ala's zikr. So this attitude of ghaflat, another ghaflat is indeed, they don't show up, they don't bring their friends. It's ghaflat. Take for granted. Yes, that's another meaning of ghaflat. To take for granted, to take lightly, not to value. Heartless. That's called ghaflat. That's why Allah Ta'ala had to even say in Quran, وَمَا قَدَرَ اللَّهُ حَقَّ قَدْرِهِ They're so heartless, they're not even able to value Allah Subh'ala Ta'ala as Allah Ta'ala is supposed to be valued. Can you imagine that person who does not even have value for Allah? Oh, means that's the height of ghaflat. That's the end of ghaflat. So we have to get this attribute out of ourselves. We have to get the ghaflat out. If we get the ghaflat out, we will have a good relationship with the people around us and we have a good relationship with Allah subhanahu wa Second attribute we have to take out also starts with ghayn. It's called ghiba. Ghiba means backbiting. Yes? Backbiting means to say something about someone in their absence. And when the Prophet explained this to Sahaba, and the Sahaba asked the Prophet, Ya Rasulullah, what if it's true? Huh? What if what we're saying is correct? It's true. Sayyidina Rasulullah, he saw something, even if it's true, it's ghiba. If it's true, it's backbiting. If you're saying a lie, it's backbiting plus slander, plus buhtan. It's even worse. You cannot talk about people. Now, the very first time we heard this hadith of the Prophet we couldn't understand it. We believed in it, we had iman, but I couldn't understand it. What is that hadith? Al-ghibatu ashaddu min zina Yes, Sayyidina Rasulullah said, Ghiba is more intense and evil, more intensely devastating, more intensely damaging, more displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than zina. Ya Allah didn't understand it. Because for us, zina is a huge sin. We accepted that ghibah is a sin. But for us, zina is a massive sin. And here the Karim system is telling us that ghibah is even more massive in the eyes of Allah SWT. But then we understood this when we saw the effect that ghibah has on the hearts of two people. Allah Akbar, it cuts them off from one another. It severs the bonds, even in the family. It causes confusion in relatives. Makes a person have su izan bad gumani shak all the time, always doubting that person, having negative thoughts about that person. Even a person suspects that the other one did riba, they cut off relations with them. They have negative feelings towards them. They have enmity towards them. Sometimes they plot and connive against them. Sometimes they even actively try to undermine them first because they think that this person is going to undermine me. 
it leads to all-out warfare. Yes? And we notice that this happens even amongst family members. Even amongst two women who are living in the same home, one is the mother of that man, the other is the wife of that man, or they're supposed to be joined together in the same love they have for that man. But if she suspects that any backbiting was done, or she thinks my mother-in-law said something about me to my sister-in-law, if she even thinks there's a chance that my mother-in-law said one sentence about me to my sister-in-law, my husband's brother's wife, that's it. In her heart she loses all feeling for the mother-in-law. In her heart she has feelings of hatred for the mother-in-law. It's intense, intense, and it's become so widespread, so widespread, almost that you can never have two people except that they're talking about a third one. When the woman goes home to her own mother, the very first thing the mother, what does the mother want? The scoop. That's what she wants. She wants the scoop. Give me the inside story, the scoop and the gossip. What's the latest going on in your husband's family? And then that's what she loves. They talk about That's the very first thing. First night is spending on this. First night is spent on Ghiba. She says, oh yes, this is my mother-in-law. My sister-in-law had this. And my mother-in-law and her sister had that. And my mother-in-law's niece, he had this problem. Just explaining everything. Hmm? They're like CNN. Huh? Oh, BBC. Hmm? BBC Gujarati, huh? All female newscasters, Allah hmm? Akbar. It's a riba. It's a riba. And then they're so addicted to that riba, they want more. When they're done, they say, or bata. They say, they say, or they or bata, or sanam, or, I want more, more. There must be some more. Give me some more juicy gossip. Hmm? This woman, finally, she went to meet her mother. She'd been with her husband for some time. This was the time that she should ask her mother, oh, how's my sister doing? How my brother's doing? How are you doing? How's everything with father? Catch up on lost time. Share her joys. Share her happinesses. Right? But no. First night on arrival. And now, mashallah, people have phone. Right? So every day... Every day one can backbite the same people who one is living with on the phone to others. Then even this backbiting takes place between husband and wife. Allah Ta'ala said in Quran, Hunna libasun lakum wa antum libasun lahun. That, oh men, they, women, wives, are a libas for you. And you, you are a libas for them. So the Mufasrun mentioned many reasons why this is a libas. One reason why it's libas is that you're supposed to hide their faults. Just like our clothing hides our defects. Clothing hides our physical defects. So the purpose of husband and wife was to hide their faults to one another. But if some unfortunate, and it happens, right? If some unfortunate disagreement happened between husband and wife, the husband goes off to work, the wife should pick up the phone. By the time the husband has come back, instead of now has spending the day feeling bad, making dua to Allah Ta'ala, hoping that Allah Ta'ala would put some barakah so things could be patched up. No. All day long the wife is on the phone doing ghibat of her husband. And husband is the same way. Husband is ghibat of his wife. 
Sometimes husbands do very crude, lewd, immodest, inappropriate ghibat of their wife. They're like animals. All day he's angry with his wife. And then what does he do? What does this man do? Huh? Muslim man. He goes and opens his heart out to some non-Muslim colleague. Hmm? Maybe she's his secretary. Maybe she's his co-worker. Maybe she's the nurse of the doctor. Hmm? The same Muslim man who was supposed to be soft, loving and affectionate to his own wife. Instead he becomes soft, loving, affectionate, sharing with a non-Muslim woman stranger. Then he does the ghibat of his own wife with her. Because even she knows that this fellow is married. Why is he talking to me? Even the woman knows that he's married and Muslim. Even even they know he's not supposed to be talking to them. And he knows that she knows I'm not supposed to be talking to her. To, to put her at ease, he does ghibat of his wife. As you know, me and my wife, we had an argument this morning. You know, I'm not really happily married. Sure, that He does it to convince her, to get her mutawajjah. Yes? Destroys, destroys. You know what happens when you do the ghibat? You take out the genuine love, the wudda, the wudda that Ar-Rahman placed between your hearts. You start taking it out. You take it out. And then after all that, then you have the audacity to come to Shaykh and say, Shaykh, I don't know what to do. I don't have any feelings anymore for my wife. It's your fault. Why did you do ghibat of her? Hmm? You did it from your own hands. You removed the feelings that Allah Ta'ala placed in your heart for her. Because you let yourself do ghibat of her. Or the women says the same thing. Oh, I'm not interested in my husband anymore. It's your fault. It's your fault. You removed the feelings from your own heart by doing ghibat of him. Imagine how widespread it's become. Two friends do ghibat of the third friend. Two daughter-in-laws do ghibat of the third one. And even husband and wife do ghibat of one another. Allahu Akbar Kabira. Inna lillahi wa inna lillahi Then in Urdu, in Urdu people, what do they try to do? They try to gift wrap this ghibat. They say, Nei ji, hum to ghibat nahi karte. Hum to vese gappe laga rahe. Gappe. Or we're just talking, we're just analyzing. Well, like a mother, you're doing riba. You're doing riba, you're guilty. You should accept yourself as guilty and make toba. That's the better way. That's the way Allah Ta'ala has taught us. So no matter how much guilt you bring to Him, no matter how much crime and sin you bring to Him, if you can accept your guilt, Allah Ta'ala will forgive you. In this world, in these courts, you have to convince them that you're not guilty. In Allah Ta'ala's court, no, you can be guilty. You just have to convince them that you feel bad about being guilty. That won't work in this world. You murder someone, you make a plea, I'm guilty. But I feel really bad. So you're still going to jail. You did the murder. Right? In Allah Ta'ala's court, you entered the plea of guilty. That's better for you. Enter the plea of guilty. Accept your guilt. This is called ikrar bin zunub. Attest and accept a person's mistakes. So we have taken this ghibat way too lightly. We should make a serious intention and dedicated effort to remove this ghibat from our tongue because it is poisoning our hearts against one another. 
How does this affect our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Yes? That also happens. It affects our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah? Even a person can do ghibat of Allah. When a ghibat becomes their characteristic, always complaining about the other person, right? Then sometimes they're even in danger of reaching a state where they complain about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is called shikha. They complain about Allah subhanahu wa So something happened to them. And they say, sometimes they may say it literally with their tongue. Or they say it in their heart. Why did Allah Ta'ala do this to me? Why me? It's not fair. Allah Ta'ala didn't do it to that person. They're complaining about Allah subhanahu wa How did they get this ability? Because they spent their whole life complaining and doing hibat about other people. Yes. Inside, sometimes the women, they just sit and they stare out the window. And yes, I appreciate and understand. You're going through a tough time. You're facing a test, a trial, a tribulation. Allah Ta'ala is testing you. But the response isn't to stare out the window and be sad and depressed and inside your heart think that Allah made a country. Why is Allah Ta'ala doing this to me? And then to be angry with Allah Subhanahu even. Or to say to other people, literally but to say that I don't know why Allah Ta'ala is doing this to me. So we have to be very, very careful of this ghibat. Always remember whatever negative attribute we have, not only will it negatively affect our relationship with one another, it will ultimately, inevitably, negatively affect our relationship with Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. So the second thing we have to remove from ourselves was ghibat. Third thing, Arabic is called a ghil. Ghil. In Urdu we call it kina. Another word for his bogus. Nafrat. Huh? To have malice, spite, hatred, bad feelings, ill will, negative feelings towards someone. Allahu Akbar. And when a person has this feeling, oh, they obliterate that person. They can forget all his good deeds. If you have bad feelings towards someone, Nothing about them seems good to you. They have no good. <laughs> because you have all bad feeling in your heart. So when you look at them, they appear to be all bad towards you. All bad. So Allah SWT does not like this. Allah SWT does not like this. It comes in a hadith that on Laylatul Qadr, and another hadith mentions Laylatul Bara, which is night before 15th of Shaban, Allah Ta'ala will forgive every single person who makes dua for maghfirah except that person who has ghil and bughil who has bad feelings towards another believer in his heart. That's how much Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala dislikes this. Just a few days ago I read the Shu'ab al-Iman of Imam al-Bayhaqi about Laylatul Bara'a. Allah does not like it. You have negative feelings towards somebody even though they have iman in their heart. The nur of the iman in their heart should have blinded you to their faults. That's how Allah wants it to be. That you love them so much for their iman that that wipes away any bad feeling you may have due to any other attribute they have. But what do we do? We totally ignore the iman in their heart. And we just look at the faults that we find. And we dislike them for the faults that they have. Once there was a sahaba, young sahaba, he came to Masjid Nabwe. 
And Sayyidina Rasulullah, we saw him coming and he told the other Sahaba that, oh, this Sahaba who is coming, he's a Jannati, he's a person who is guaranteed to go to Jannah. So here, then he came. The Sahaba were wow, amazed and look at this young man. The Prophet said that he's going to Jannah. So one of the Sahaba, he had a curiosity. He said, I want to know, what is it about this person? That Sayyidina Rasulullah said he's a Jannati. So he followed that person for three days and three nights. <laughs> he was watching that what's he going to do, some special amal, some special act, right? Due to which the Prophet said he's guaranteed Jannah. After three days, three nights, he couldn't see anything. So then he had no choice, he had to go up to him. And he went up to him and he said, that, You know, actually the other day you were coming to the masjid and Sayyidina Rasulullah said this about you. So I want to know, what is that special thing about you that our beloved messengers already in this world said you're going to Jannah? And that young Sahaba said, oh, I don't know, you know. I don't really have any such special act of mine. Khas amal, huh? I don't have any special act like that. And then he started thinking, he said, maybe there's one thing that I do. And Sahaba said, yes, that's it. Tell me that one thing, right? So the young Sahaba said that every night when I go to sleep, before I go to sleep, I make dua to Allah Ta'ala. That Allah Ta'ala, I wipe away all the negative feelings I have towards anyone. If I have any bad feelings in my heart towards anyone, I forgive them for the sake of Allah Ta'ala and I take it out of my heart. That's what I do every single night. So then the Muhaddisin, when they comment on this hadith, they say, this was the reason. This was the reason why he was promised Jannah on this earth. Because every night, if he had any bad feelings towards anyone, he would simply erase it. Erase it. That means that we should do the same thing. We should do the same thing. And yes, it will happen. Sometimes somebody will be mean to you. Sometimes somebody will hurt you. Sometimes somebody will tease you, you have to deal with that with sub. You can't allow yourself to have hatred and malice and bogus and kina and ghil and nafrat for them in your heart. And again, you will find this in all of our relationships. You find it with people in offices. Hmm? Co-workers in the office, leg pulling, undermining one another. Professors in departments, leg pulling, undermining one another. Two brothers in the family business, Oh, leg pulling, undermining one another. For what? For dunya. <laughs> for a greater stake in the business. Hmm? Or jockeying with one another for property. Hmm? Leg pulling, undermining one another. <coughs> Having bad feelings for one another. Because of property, because of money. Is that what befits a mu'min? Huh? Is that the shan of the iman in our heart? That we have feelings like that? And again... You find it between relatives, you find it between neighbors, and again you find it between family members. Severe ghil between family members. So it's a very bad thing to have bad thoughts about someone. Very bad thing to have bad intentions about someone. This is why our deen, what did our deen teach us? وَقَاذِمِينَ الْغَيْذِ You have to swallow your anger. وَعَافِينَ عَنِ nas. And you have to forgive humanity. Now what does this ayah mean? When Allah Ta'ala says, Afin means af. What does that mean? Why, does you, why is Allah Ta'ala telling you to forgive that person? It means that person must have done wrong. So if you want to know, no, no, but what does Allah Ta'ala say? What does Deen say if somebody does wrong to me? They do an injustice to me. <coughs> this ayah is exactly about that. That's why they mention af. That you forgive them because they did wrongdoing. 
So what does it mean that somebody wronged you? Because they wronged you, you felt anger. You got angry. And you can even call this justifiable anger. Legitimate anger. That's what we'll call it in English. But what does Allah Ta'ala say? Even though somebody wronged you, and you feel quote-unquote justifiable anger, mean they swallow it. They suppress it. They don't give in to that feeling. Second, وَعَافِينَ Then they forgive that person. Third, وَاللَّهُ يُحِمُّ الْمُحْسِنِينَ Third is they do ahsan to that person. They do a good deed to that person who wronged them. That's teaching of Qur'an. That's teaching of Qur'an. So yes, sometimes somebody may do something. Right? But we have to swallow our anger and be more forgiving towards them. Then a person can have the same feeling. Same feeling can go all the way up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yes, same feeling goes all the way up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How? What happens that when you have ghil for a person, bughus for a person, what's the end of that? The end is a very strong feeling known as hasad. That's the end. When you dislike someone, when you don't like someone, you will have hasad for them. What does hasad mean? Hasad doesn't always mean that you necessarily want what they have. Hasad means number one, that whenever Allah Ta'ala blesses them with some bounty, some blessing, worldly, maybe spiritual blessing, you get angry. You don't like it. It sets you on fire. You're upset. Hmm? Why did they get this job? Why did they get this admission? Why did they get the scholarship? Why did he get married? Why did she get married? Why was she praised by the teacher? They don't like it. Hmm? Why did my mother-in-law praise her? Why did my mother-in-law like her food? They don't like it. That's the end of ghil, that a person has hasan. They go on fire when the person they have bad feelings towards. Anything good happens to them, they can't stand it. And second level of hasan is they wish that the person was deprived of it. Yes? Second level of hasan is that they wish that person could be mahroom. They wish they could lose that ni'mah they have. They wish they could get divorced instead of being married. They wish they would lose the job. They wish they would crash the car. It gets like that. Such a level of ghil. So much nafrat. And third level of hasan is that even they want so bad for that person to lose it, they will actively try to undermine that person and make them lose that blessing. They will try to deprive them. They will do something. There's three levels of hasad. And this is the end of ghil. And when a person has this, what does it mean? They actually end up having ghil for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? Because when you have hasad for someone, means you're angry with Allah. Because who gave that thing to them? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So whenever you have hasad for someone, it means you're having ghil and bogus for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're upset. Why did Allah Ta'ala give it to them? That's what you're really feeling. So now can you imagine this human heart <laughs> taking on Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala? Can you imagine this human heart being angry with Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala? This human heart being angry at the taqseem and the fuzzle of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala that Allah Ta'ala gave them instead of giving me? <coughs> this is a hill, this is a bukhus, this is a hasad. And then it leads to a person having, being upset and angry with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in their heart. 
So three things we have to leave. Number one was ghafla. Number two was ghiba. Number three was ghil. And we have to take out these attributes entirely because they're going to harm our relationship with others and they're going to harm our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number four. Fourth, also in Arabic charts with ghayn. Ghulu. Ghulu. What does ghulu mean? Ghulu means... Like a type of extremism, ghulu means a type of imbalance. Ghulu can also be, you can call it ta'assub in Arabic, or if your Urdu is better, ta'assub means a sort of partisanship, right? Uh, exclusivity. Ghulu means, okay, that's maybe where you can exclusively. Me, myself, and I only are right, and everybody else is wrong. It should happen the way I want it to be. We should go when I say we should go. Everything should be the way I say it should be. That is ghulu. And everything else, no other way, no other outlook, no other perspective is okay. Sometimes people have this ghulu in the dunya. And this is something I will tell the men also. That the men should know that when it comes to husband-wife relationship, a very simple formula. Whenever there is a difference of opinion that has nothing to do with the deen, you have to listen to your wife. You want to go at 10 a.m. and she says, no, I'd rather go at noon. You go at noon. You want it, let's leave before lunch and have lunch there. She says, no, let's have lunch and then go. You have lunch and then go. You want the blue carpet. She wants the pink carpet. Buy the pink carpet. Whatever it is, you want to go to visit Manchester this weekend. She says, no, let's go two weekends from now. You go two weekends from now. Every single thing that has nothing to do with Sharia, any difference of opinion, as long as all the choices are halal in Sharia, listen to your wife. And some of them are listening right now, so I'm getting you in trouble. Yes. Uh, yes. Every single thing, as long as it's neutral in deen, deen has no preference. Any difference of opinion in which the deen has no preference, you listen to your wife. Why? Because Allah Ta'ala made you Amir of the household, the manager of the household, only for His sake. So what does it mean? You're only supposed to use your management when it's a matter of deen. Now it means if there's anything that's in deen, and you're trying to do what's preferred in deen, and she wants to do what's not preferred in deen, that is when you become Amir. And you guide gently, not with force, but gently and love, you guide the household onto that course of action that is preferred on deen. But anything that has no preference in deen, deen is no preference for it. You have to listen to her. But what does ghulu mean? Ghulu means that man who says, Meri chalti hai. Meri baat chalti hai. Oh, meri hi baat chalti hai. Yes. Allah Ta'ala didn't, Amir didn't mean Allah Ta'ala made the man the dictator. So funny when you work, you want your manager and boss to be so nice. You want him to win manager of the year award. You want him to have the best human resource skills. That's the type of manager Allah Ta'ala made you of the household. <laughs> That's the type of manager you are. That's what Allah Ta'ala means when you're Emir. Allah Ta'ala didn't mean that you're the Hitler of the house. It didn't mean you're the absolute dictator and tyrant of the house. Allah Ta'ala has not given the husband that position. That's not at all what the deen of Islam says. <laughs> and your management role is supposed to be used lillah fillah for the sake of Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. The other things... Wife is a queen. 
Don't you see? You have a queen in your country. Huh? You just know what a queen is like. You actually have a queen. Yes, if you have a British passport, you have a queen. I don't have a queen. <laughs> he doesn't have a queen. You have a queen. What is the queen? Queen is whatever the queen wants happens. That's how the wife is in Islam. She's a queen as long as it has no, nothing to do against the deen. Whatever she wants, as long as you're able to do it, you're supposed to do it. So that whenever the deen wants something, then you are able to make sure it happens. And if you try to insist when the deen doesn't matter, then when you try to bring up the deen, she won't listen to you. You used up all your cards on foolish things. Like, let's leave at 10 a.m. instead of noon. You wasted your trump cards on that. <laughs> then when it comes matter of deen, you're empty-handed. <laughs> empty-handed. So this is an example of ghulu in this world. Example, another example of ghulu, which is even worse ghulu. The worst, by the way, for all of them, I left that for you, but that's the worst thing, is when it's in deen. As hasad and dunya is one thing, hasad in deen is the worst. Ghibat over dunya is one thing, ghibat over deen is worse. Hasan means two imams jealous of one another, two mulanas jealous of one another, huh? two shaykhs jealous of one another. This is the worst type of hasan. So the worst type of ghulu is also in deen. So here in Blackburn, you're mashallah, sweet, innocent community, you don't have this issue yet. Mulana see that? Yet. But then people have ghulu in deen. And only my way of praying is okay, your way of praying is wrong. I'm hadith and you are wrong. I'm sunnah and you are wrong. That's actually ghulu. So what's the opposite of ghulu? That means to have zarf, the humble, hill, some tolerance, some absorptive capacity. Because Allah Ta'ala has made human beings different. You will not be able to interact and intermingle with humans unless you have that absorptive capacity in which you can tolerate differences. You can manage and negotiate those differences. How does a person have ghulu? For Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? How does a person have ghulu for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? That is when the person, what do they think? That is when a person thinks that whatever I planned, it should have happened that way. Remember ghulu was, says, my way is the only way. So when a person has ghulu with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what does that mean? That they made a certain plan and they wanted things to happen their way and then it doesn't happen their way. Instead of realizing that, okay, Allah Ta'ala is sending me in a different direction. Instead of being absorptive, having him, the humble, going with the flow, they, again, they insist and they try to do it their way. And they're just knocking themselves up and banging themselves against the wall of Allah Ta'ala's hukam, Allah Ta'ala's taqdeer, Allah Ta'ala's decision and decree. Yes, you feel people like that, they bang themselves up against the decree of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. It's because they have a ghulu with Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. They say, no, it should be my way. It should be what I want. And I guarantee you in this world, there's no human being, even anbiya, that everything happened according to what they thought would happen. There's no human being like that. Allah is Allah. You cannot have ghulu. You can never win this battle. <laughs> so the person has to be humbled in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The person has to be humbled in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And realize that no, what happens in the world is Allah ta'ala's way. In there's a sabak later on of Aliyah where a person reflects that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the fa'ili hakiki. He's the real doer. When a person does this sabak and gets this feeling in their heart, then they enjoy life. Then they know, okay, I do my best. 
I look at Hidayah of Deen, we make Istikhara, we make a decision, we make plan A. And when Allah, Allah totally turns it upside down and puts us on plan B, we're happy. <laughs> and we know Allah Ta'ala is the Father Hakiki. If Allah Ta'ala wants to see me in plan B, I'm more than happy to be in plan B. But if a person doesn't understand that, they're on a hulu. <laughs> they try to wrench themselves back again to plan A. They fail, then they start crying, they get depressed. And why am I stuck in plan B? A person should not have hulu. So four things, ghafla, ghibat, ghil, and ghulu. Fifth of six things for today. Six attributes we have to avoid. Number five is called ghurur. Ghurur also means kibber, takamur, means arrogance and pride. We must leave this arrogance and pride. All of you know the hadith, Sayyidina Rasulullah, he saw some layyad khula. Never ever will that person ever ever enter Al-Jannah. They will never ever enter Jannah. If they have one zarra, one atom's weight of pride in their heart. So it means that we have to avoid this ghurur altogether. Altogether. No arrogance, no pride, no showing off, no display. person has to ignore this altogether entirely. Very difficult thing to do. So let me show you the three words that Allah Ta'ala has, in the three words in our deen that are used to explain this khurur. It's ujub, kibr, and takabur. Ujub means to love oneself. But English is called vanity, conceit, self-praise, self-love. Kibr means to view oneself as better than others. And takabur means to act on that kibr. Takabur means to act on that kibr. Now I'll explain to you in simple English. Ujub means to view yourself as something. Kibr means to view yourself as something and as better than others. Takabur means to view yourself as something and better than others and therefore treat others as if they're lower to you. To treat people like that. That's called takabur. Ujub. Kibr and Takabur. And we have to save ourselves from all of these three things. And this is one of the most difficult things to save ourselves from. In fact, Hazrat Tashif Ali he mentioned that for a Salik, who is a Salik? Salik is that person who spends their whole life scrubbing their heart. For that person, who is on the path of Suluk, the last sin that leaves their heart is ujub. It's so deep. But they scrub it out, then it comes up again. Then they scrub it out, then it comes up again. To scrub it out entirely is the last thing that leaves a person. is ujub. Why? Our own shaykh, he explained it this way. So why don't you listen to this also. Shaitan is our enemy. Yes. You should also learn. Right? How to save yourself from shaitan. That's another thing our Mashaikh teaches us. Shaitan is our die-hard enemy. Aduvum Mubin. He's clear, open, manifest enemy. Enemy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Enemy of all of the anbiya. Has enmity and hatred towards Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
He has enmity and hatred towards that being Allah who is Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, Rabbil Alameen. Shaitan has enmity and hatred towards that being who is Rahmatul Al-Alameen. He hates the Prophet hates Sahaba. So me and you, (laughs) can you imagine how evil Shaitan would have to be to hate Allah Ta'ala who is Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim? To hate Sayyidina Rasulullah who is Rahmatul Al-Alameen? So Shaitan hates us. And he has thousands of years of experience in being our enemy. That's why we have to learn from our Mashaikh. How is it that shaitan attacks? How can we protect ourselves from him? Why? Because Allah Ta'ala said in Quran, فَاتَّخِذُوهُ adubah That you must take shaitan as an enemy. You must take him as an enemy. In this world, if you even had 10% doubt that maybe somebody was your enemy, you would be so muhtaat around them. You'd be so careful around them. Huh? If there's some white man, a colleague at your work, and somebody told you, yeah, I think maybe he said he didn't like you. You'd be so careful around him. So much ihtiyat that maybe, maybe, maybe he may have a drop of dislike towards me. And you have yakin, absolute yakin, that not a drop, that shaitan is absolute enmity towards you. And you don't do any ihtiyat with him. No ihtiyat. In fact, he has a double agent inside which is called our nafs. If shaitan's double agent, shaitan's secret spy, lets, opens the door of the color for shaitan to come in. So why don't you listen to this also? Our Mashaikh have explained how shaitan attacks. And then you will see how the fifth thing, ghurur, comes inside. First attempt of shaitan. First attempt of shaitan is to try to make a person do a new sin. That's what he wants. Not only should you sin, but you should do a new sin. Yes, that you do another type of sin. Maybe he's already got you in the sin of lust. Now he wants to get you in the sin of anger. Maybe he already got you on those two. He's going to want to get you in the sin of greed. First attempt is for him to get you to do a new sin. New sin. Allah Akbar. Now, if he's not able to get you to do a new sin, then he makes a second attempt. Second attempt is, what does he try to do? He can't get you to do it outright. He can't get you to do an outright new sin. Blatant sin. So second attempt, what does he try to do? He tries to get you to do what you think is a lesser sin. Halka guna. He gift wraps a sin. A perfect example that we had earlier, like riba. Abu Ghiba, people don't view that as a sin anymore even. They take it lightly. They take it lightly. So he gets you involved in a sin that you think is a lesser sin, that you think is a light sin. What happens then? That takes out the barakah of your ibadah. Takes out the barakah of even your farz ibadah. Let's say a person doesn't do that either. He doesn't do any new sin. Doesn't do an outrageous new sin. And doesn't do a light new sin. So the third attempt shaitan makes is he tries to make a person repeat an old sin. Okay. You know that sin you did before, you made toba of that. He puts a plant in your mind, he makes you remember it a little bit. Puts a bit of attraction in it for you. Sparkles and sprinkles your memory for it. Hmm? And a person goes back and does that sin. You see in crime, it's the same thing. One is that you have a criminal who was arrested on one crime, then he's arrested on a new crime, he gets a tougher sentence. He's like a double type of criminal. 
you'll get a more strict sentence. There's another type of criminal, it's called repeat offender. <laughs> Did the same crime a second time, repeat offender. He also gets a more strict sentence. So shaitan operates that way. He wants you to engage in the crime of sin. He wants you to be double offender, triple offender. He wants you to be repeat offender. Let's say there's somebody who has so much, mashallah, iman, taqwa, that they resist shaitan. They don't do the new sin, outrageous sin. They don't do the new sin, light sin. They don't repeat any of the old sin. So then what does shaitan do? Shaitan tries to take away their farz of wajib required ibadah. Get them to sleep through a fajr. Get them to sleep before praying witr. Get them to sleep before praying isha. Make them lazy in their zakat. Make them not pay their zakat that year. That you're pending over them. Huh? Make them calculate the zakat stingily. They actually think they paid it, but they didn't pay all that was due on them. Huh? If they have enough money to go for hajj, let them delay it. So they delay that farz. He attacks the person's farz ibadah. And if it works, then the person gets weak. He goes right back and tries to get them to do sin. He goes right back to his first attack. Let's say, mashallah, there's somebody with so much iman, so much taqwa. Not only do they do not do any new outrageous sin, they won't do any new light sin. They won't repeat sin and they remain istikamat, established on the farz wajib required ibadah. So then what does shaitan, shaitan doesn't give up. <laughs> what does shaitan do next? Shaitan then looks at, where is this person getting the strength from? <laughs> How does he have the strength? And I guarantee you a person who can do these things, not do any type of sin, and has istikamat on their faraid and wajibat and sunnas, means that person is doing nafil ibadah. Guaranteed. <laughs> they built a fortress around their farz, which is called nafil ibadah. So now what does shaitan do? He attacks that. He makes them have susti, ghaflat, be lazy in their nafil ibadah. Happens, they think, okay, you know, for the past seven days I read my Quran. Today I'll go hang out with my friends. For five days they were regular in their zikr and muraqabah. Six days they say, okay, I'll take a break. Hmm? He gets them to go down in their nafil ibadah. And he keeps getting them down and down and down in their nafil ibadah that he sees that their weaknesses their strength has gone down. He took away that nafil ibadah due to which they had the strength to resist him. When he takes it away, then he attacks again. Same cycle. Tries to get them to do new sin, repeat old sin, leave the first. Then if there's somebody, Allah Akbar, who's so strong, huh? they resist shaitan, they don't do any type of sin, they don't leave any type of ibadah. They still do, they have istiqamat on their nafil ibadah. That's what the Prophet said. That the most beloved of nafil ibadat to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are the ones that you do the most regularly, even if they're few. So this person, mashallah, is regular. Regular under nafil athgar. So now what does shaitan do? Now shaitan does a trick. Oh, a cunning trick. Why? Because me and you, what happens if you think about such a person, you think such an amazing person, Right? He's not falling into any sin doing all the ibadah. So if such a person was around, maybe you would start praising him. Other people start praising him. So what happens? Shaitan increases that. He puts waswasa, good waswasa on other people's mind. Oh, look how pious he is. And they go praise him. They ask him for dua. They start calling him Hazrat. They call him Sufi Sab. They call him Tabliki Bai. Whatever it is, he starts getting praise. Right? Now he's getting lots of praise, lots of praise, lots of praise. And shaitan, the next attack, he puts waswasa this much. 
enjoy the praise. That's it. That's all he does. He puts a waswas on that person. No, oh, you should just enjoy the praise. And the person starts enjoying it. They start getting happy that people are praising me. They get happy that people are thinking highly of me. They get happy to see their name on poster. Huh? They get happy. Allah Akbar, this is called Riya. This is called Riya. Hubbija. Riya, love of fame, love of status, love of name. Once they get that Riya, then the barakah of all their nafal abadat goes away. <laughs> they still get it written in their deeds, they're doing it, but they don't get the barakah in it. So also the summer shaykh have taught us. When you do nafal abadah, one thing is getting the sawab for it. One thing is getting the qurb and tasir and barakah from it. That's different. <laughs> That's based on your batin. <coughs> So they stop getting the barakah from it. When they stop getting the barakah from it, they lose that spiritual power with which they were resisting him. He goes right back and gets them into sin. And finally, last attack of shaitan, which is what we touched on when we were doing ghurur. Imagine that this person, Allah Akbar, so much iman, so much taqwa, they won't do a new outrageous sin, won't do a new light sin, won't repeat a sin, Shaitan cannot get them to miss any of their farz wajib sunnah. He is firm on his nafil ibadah, the good scar, and they have zero riya. People can praise them as much as they want. It has no effect on them. They're actually so pure for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They're not interested and not pleased at all by people's praise. Allah Akbar. Now what does shaitan do? So shaitan takes up a mirror and he holds it up to that person. And he says, look, exactly what I just said, look how amazing you are. But you don't leave, do sin. You don't repeat sin. You're firm on your tawbah. You never leave your farz wajib sunnah. You never leave your nafal al-kanaskar. Oh, so many people praise you, it doesn't even affect your heart. Look how good that you are. And then the person sees and they get ujjah. That's why Shaykh Ashraf Ali Tanrata said, the last thing to go. <laughs> last attack of shaitan. Then they get ujjah. Then they start thinking of themselves as something. Once they start thinking of themselves as something, Allah, then it's all downhill from there. <laughs> Once he lights the spark of ujub in their heart, then it's only a matter of time before it becomes kibar, it becomes takabar. Then again they fall down. Then again he launches all his other attacks and he gets them to go into sin. So this is why we have to leave this hurur. Hmm? So we gave you this example was to explain how this will harm our dini relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, our spirituality. Earlier we gave you an example how it will harm our hukukulibah. So the sixth and final thing that for today, six things, six attributes we have to remove that start with ghain. The first was ghafla, the second was ghiba, the third was ghil, the fourth was gulu, the fifth was gurur, and the sixth is ghayz. And Urdu Ghussa, also with the Ghain and Urdu. Ghayz, anger. Oh, we have to remove that anger. Sayyidina Rasulullah said in a hadith that anger destroys Iman the way vinegar destroys honey. Yes, we may not appreciate that so much, but it means it destroys the corruption, means that the bitterness of anger takes away the sweetness of Iman. Yes. The bitterness of anger takes away the sweetness of Iman. So no, we're not allowed to have anger at all. Not allowed to have anger at all. 
But what is it? We have this mistake that we think that if we get angry to people, somehow that will bring them closer. So the person is angry towards his wife, right? Angry towards his children. Not talking about disciplining children. Obviously, when you discipline children, you have to be stern with them sometimes, right? You have to scold your children sometimes, but you're not allowed to do that out of anger. It's a very barik thing. <coughs> the disciplining and scolding that you do verbally has to be done when your heart is not angry. That's the trick. That's the reveal. 99% of people don't know that. So 99% of parents and even Ali and Hafiz instructor, when they discipline and scold and reprimand the student or the child, they do so when their heart is angry. They do so because their heart is angry with them. That's not tarbiyat. That's anger. This is a whole separate topic we have when sometimes we get the HIFS instructors in front of us. This morning after Fajr, we doubted the HIFS students and the HIFS parents and the HIFS administrators. Samaha you weren't there. But I didn't get a chance to talk to the HIFS instructors. Anytime you scold, reprimand, discipline a child because you're angry, that's not tarbiyat, that's your anger and it's haram to do so. Yes? I have no problem. I issue fatwa. It's haram to do so. You can only scold and discipline and reprimand sternly the student or the child when your heart is free of anger. You're not actually angry. It's almost like you're faking it. <laughs> yes? You're actually faking it. They will think you're angry with them. Actually, you're not angry with them. But you're just disciplining them. Right? In fact, not only that, in your heart you actually have love for them. Like you will feel sometimes a mother when there's a baby and the baby gets a splinter, you know, in her finger. So the mother will go and outwardly she's hurting the child. She's sticking her nail in, digging into the finger and trying to pull it out, right? And the child starts crying, doesn't understand that already I'm in pain and now my mother is coming to me and she's digging her fingernail into me. So the child also thinks that the mother is torturing me. The child doesn't realize. But actually the mother has no such feeling at all in her heart the mother has only love and compassion and concern for the child in her heart. That's the way you dance someone. Anything other than that is just anger. It's just anger, pure anger. And anger is purely unlawful in our deen. Even, Allah Akbar, even if you want to see what Allah Ta'ala said to Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam, this is a whole other chapter of tafsir. It's amazing. I gave you another ayah earlier, right? Allah Ta'ala told the Prophet if you had spent all the money on the world, on the Sahaba, you would have never been able to join their hearts. Allah Ta'ala joined their hearts. Another ayah Allah Ta'ala says to the Prophet that if you had been stern-hearted with them, hard-hearted with them, harsh-hearted them, then the Sahaba would have left you, they would have disbanded you. They would have abandoned you. Allah Ta'ala is telling the Prophet so the hardness is never on the heart. The hardness can only be on the tongue. But what do we think? We have a hard heart towards our wife. Hmm? Or maybe the mother has the hard heart towards the children. Or the boss has a hard heart towards his workers. Hmm? And then they tell one another, Bas ye to danda se chalta hai. Danda se nahi chalta. 
ये आपके नष्ट नंदा चला रहा है नंदा आप पर चलाना चाहिए हमें यस ऑल इफ इट इज जस्ट एंगर सो मच एंगर अल्लाह पर अनदर बिग फितना एंड इन योर कम्युनिटी इन इंग्लैंड इट्स अ वेरी बिग फितना वेरी बिग फितना the more and more time we come to england the more and more we realize what problems you have outwardly you have such nice big shining masjids and maktabs and darulums and big big high schools but inside you have family problems the like of which i've never ever seen before i tell you honestly in the american community we don't have such nice big masjids and big schools and big darulums you don't have it but the people who look like this in america they have pure hearts <laughs> The people who like look like this in England, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar Kabira. And one thing they have is a lot of anger. They get so angry with their wife, they divorce her. They get so angry over such a small thing, and they divorce her thrice. They have three children. That woman who was loyal to you her whole life. that woman who gave herself up to you entirely in arranged marriage didn't even know who you were and she presented herself to you and she submitted herself to you from the first night onward then she was the mother of your children she raised your children fine she made a mistake that morning you are so kacha in your iman that you got so angry with her you gave her divorce that's not a man that's a coward that's a coward if i was causing i put men like that in jail i would use dhyanatan and qadaan sorry yes really you should be jailed i would put you in jail anybody who divorces his wife out of anger i put you in jail only reason allah taala made divorce even in this deen is because every now and then very rare because it does happen that every now and then it may happen that yes genuinely the husband and wife they can't get along it can happen right and they've tried their best and third parties have tried their best and they generally try to get along right but they just can't so allah ta'ala says okay fine and make a way out of nikah for that special situation where it is actually better for both of them to go their separate ways and even then they should go their separate ways without any drop of anger at all same word allah taala uses there asan and maruf shall let them go in the most comfortable ways of comfort and with the best and most excellent standard of adab and akhlaq so even in that rare special case for which allah taala made divorce there is not supposed to be even one drop of anger at all even when it's supposed to happen yes but even then what did allah taala say say na rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam said At-talaqu amghaz al-mubahati indallah. Yes, talaq is the out of all the things Allah Taala made permissible. Allah Taala dislikes talaq the most. It's just a necessity out of His mercy in those few cases that when it was better for them to go separate. But what happens today instead? Right? You get angry. They divorce their wife in anger. And then they come and then they long Mufti Sahib to give them a fatwa. <laughs> they say what? No, no, I was angry. Say, oh, nobody divorces their wife when they're happy. 
What does that mean? Can you go to a court and say, no, no, I, I murdered him, but you know, I was angry when I killed him. So, of course you were angry when you killed him. Nobody kills somebody when they're happy with someone. We understand that you were angry with them. Being angry with them doesn't mean the murderer case is off. So the divorce happened. Then they go deep into some classical book of Arabic and one faqih he wrote, what he meant was that the person was mentally, clinically insane, suffered from guaranteed temporary insanity and was overcome by anger at that level. Then he said the divorce and anger doesn't count. Doesn't mean you. If, you're, if you want to be spend a couple of years in the mental asylum, then I'll accept it. Okay, you genuinely are mentally insane. Uh, and evoke insanity, temporary insanity for this. And still they insist, no, but I, mean, I just mean it. He loves Bola. When you married her and did nikah, how did you do it? You said one word. <laughs> so yes, Allah Ta'ala has given the tongue that power. That same Allah Ta'ala who let you on the same tongue say one word that was sufficient to bring her into your nikah, same Allah Ta'ala on your same tongue gave you the power, you say one word, she will exit your nikah. This is one crisis of this community that people don't know, have to be trained about what divorce is and what marriage is before the crisis overcomes them. By the time you come to us, I'll be honest, it's too late. <laughs> it's way too late. By the time you come to me, it's too late now. <laughs> it's gone beyond relief and redemption. You should have been trained much, much earlier. You should have been educated about the hidayat of deen on marriage and divorce much, much earlier. And yes, it's not just the men. I know women also have a lot of anger, right? And sometimes women, because they let themselves get so angry at their husband, they provoke the divorce. I'm not saying they deserve it. But sometimes because a woman doesn't control her anger, that gets her in trouble also. Right? For example, classic example is that what happens with a woman, she cannot control her anger against her mother-in-law. So she lets out all her anger on the mother-in-law at the end of the day, that's your husband's mother. At the end of the day, he is a son. He's going to feel some love for his mother as a son. And you just let out all your anger on her. So he's going to respond and let out his anger on you. Next thing you know, it's divorce. That's simple. Anger led to anger. Very predictable thing. So then she was foolish. Why did she let herself be so angry? So Allah Ta'ala said in Quran, and I already explained that ayah to you, that they swallow their anger. So I'll give you one example so you can understand. Because people still insist, no, I was right. It was my right to be angry. Okay. In all of history of humanity, if there's ever any been in the entire history of humanity, any person who had the right to be angry, it was Sayyidina Rasulullah wasallam. He had the right to be angry with the mushrikeen of Makkah. They tried to assassinate him. They sent armies against him. They killed his uncle. They slaughtered and mutilated his uncle. They killed his sahaba. They kicked him and his sahaba out of their homes. They separated him from Kaaba, his beloved Kaaba. Right? Talk about wrongdoing, oppression, oppression. But when Sayyidina Rasulullah and Sahaba come back to Makkah Mukarramah in Fatih Makkah, what happens? What lesson was written for all of history to learn, for all of humanity to learn, at least for the Ummah to learn? When Sayyidina Rasulullah is entering Makkah Mukarramah, he doesn't come in as a conqueror. 
He doesn't come in as a victor. Huh? He bows down and does sajda on his animal as low as he can go. And he says, Alhamdulillahi wahda. All praise is to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Nasara abda. Didn't even say Nasara Rasulah. No. Nasara abda. Oh, he's helped his slave. His slave. <laughs> yes, even though he's the greatest of creation, the greatest of prophets. And yes, technically Fatih Makkah. But he entered as a slave. This was his consciousness. And he entered Makkah Makkah with Sahaba. Now the unbelievers, they thought, they're going to take revenge on us. <laughs> Because they thought Sahaba would do to them what they would have done if they got the chance. So some of them had fled. Others who couldn't flee, they were holed up in their homes, scared and hiding. And they waited and they waited and they waited and nothing happened. So then they sent out some scouts to find out where, where's the Muslim army. So the scouts came back and said, oh, they're all in Kaaba, they're all doing tawaf. They're all crying and doing tawaf. not <laughs> They haven't come for revenge. They came for Allah Ta'ala's house. So Prophet and Sahaba, first thing they went, they went to Kaaba, they made tawaf and they made dua. After they were done, Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Allah Akbar Alameen. He made a historical announcement. What did he say? He gathered all Sahaba after that tawaf. And he made an announcement to all of Makkah Makarama. Al-Yawmu Yawmul Marhama. Allah Akbar. Today, it's not a day of victory. It's not a day of conquest. It's not a day of revenge. Today is the day of mercy. And I offer mercy and amnesty to all the mushrikeen of Makkah. Ya Allah. If the Prophet was like us, justifiably angry. Huh? Oh, I have every right to be angry. Oh, no, no, my brother has done a lot of That's what we say, right? Oh, they did so much to me, I have a right to be angry. If there was anybody in history who had a right to be angry, justifiable anger, it was Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam. He is our Nabi. His amal is our is a sunnah for us. We have to follow his example. I mean, it is sunnah. Sunnah when somebody wrongs you and you are justifiably angry. Sunnah of Nabi Karim Wasallam to overlook that, swallow your anger and forgive that person. When would the husband learn to say that to his wife? Hmm? Instead of boiling all day at work and coming back and issuing the divorce, can't he come back from work and tell her when she was scared what's going to happen? Huh? Why can't he walk in and tell her, Al-Yawm, Al-Yawm, al No, today is not the day of my anger. Today is not going to be the day of our separation. Today is not going to be the day of our divorce. Today is a day of mercy. Today will be the day I forgive you for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I do it again, and I can do it again, and I keep doing it. That's a man of the sunnah. That's a man who follows Sayyidina Rasulullah wasallam. This is our deen. This is our Nabi. His sunnah is for us. His adab is for us. His akhlaq is for us. We have to learn from him. We have to follow him. So we should remove all of these six things from our heart. Why? So that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can put that love in our heart. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَأَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ سَيَجْعَلُوا لَهُمَ الرَّحْمَانُ وُدَّا That those who have real iman and have amal salih, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in His capacity as Ar-Rahman, the infinitely merciful one, 
He will place wudda, He will place love and compassion in their heart. May Allah Ta'ala purify our heart of all of these six things. May He enable us to improve our relationship with one another and improve our relationship with Him. May He put wudda in our hearts for one another and may He put mahabba in our hearts for Him. Bring to us Muhammad bin Al-Wahhab, Allahumma salli ala sirna Muhammad wa ala ala sirna Muhammad wa barik wa sallim Rabbana zalamna anfusana wa illam takfir lana wa tarhamna lanakunanna minal khasirin Rabbik filwalham wa anta khairul rahimeen Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, we have come to you with poisoned hearts, with diseased hearts, with spoiled hearts. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we want you to purify our heart. Ya Allah, take out all of these unlawful feelings from our heart. Ya Allah, we have brought to you years and years of sin. Ya Allah, we have brought years and years of ghaflat. Ya Allah, we have taken you for granted, your deen for granted, Quran for granted. We are the people of Maqadar Allah, Hakka Qadrihi. Ya Allah, we ask that you forgive Give us for the sin. Ella, take out this ghaflat from our heart. Put the nood of zikr in our heart. Make us amongst the zakirin Allah kathira wa zakirat. Make us amongst the men believers and women believers who remember you abundantly, Ya Allah. Let there never be a second of our life in which we forget you. Let every single <coughs> moment our heart and mind be full of remembrance of you. You know, bikring. Let us be attentive towards one another. Let us be compassionate towards one another. Let us fulfill the comfortable needs of one another. Let us have ihsan towards one another. Let us be with one another the way Nabi Kareem was with us, all his relations. Let us be a husband according to the sunnah. Let us be a wife according to the teachings of the sunnah. Let us be a father, mother, parent according to the sunnah. Let us be a child, son, daughter according to the sunnah. Let us be a sibling, brother, sister according to the sunnah. Ya Rabbi Kareem, let us be a member of this ummah and be worried about this ummah the same way Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was worried for this ummah. Allah granted the sunnah adab and akhlaq, the sunnah rahim and compassion, the sunnah kindness and gentleness. And Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask that you take away all of the bad feelings that we have towards anybody in our heart. Ya Allah, if anybody has ever hurt us, Ya Allah, we forgive them for all the hurt that they have done. And Ya Allah, we ask that you in this place forgive us for all the sins that we have ever done. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, take out the malice, spite and hatred. Take out the bugs, kina, nafrat, ghil from our heart. Let us only see the good qualities in others. Let us see the faults in ourselves. Let us have bugs for our own faults. Let us have ghil for our own nafsi amara. Let us tackle our own selves and let us be gentle with others. And Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask you to preserve our tongue from backbiting. Ya Allah, take out all the backbiting from our tongue. Take out all the slander from our heart. Protect us from the people of backbiting. Protect us from the gatherings of gossip. Protect us from the gatherings of slander. Ya Rabbi Kareem, let us say kind words about one another. Let us learn to conceal and hide the faults of one another. Just as you, Ya Allah, have concealed our, our faults. Ya Allah, just as you are Kamil Sattar and you have hidden our sins from others. Ya Allah, let us also do satir of the faults and sins of others when we learn them. And Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, save us from every type of extremism, every type of partisanship. Ya Allah, let us be absorbed let us be, have hilm, let us have zarf, let us have tahammul, and Ya 
Bikrim, let us learn to negotiate and live with one another in peace and harmony, Ya Allah. Allah, those hearts that are broken, mend them, Ya Allah. Those hearts that are distant, bring them close, Ya Allah. Put peace, love, and harmony in the hearts between the hearts of all of the husbands and wives, between the hearts of all of the brothers and sisters, between the hearts of all of the parents and children, between the hearts of all of the in-laws and family, between the hearts of all of the neighbors, between the hearts of all of the members of the community. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask that you put peace, love, harmony between our hearts, that you put the glue of your rahmah between our hearts, like you promised in Quran. Ya Rabbi Kareem, make us people of iman, make us people of amal salih Let us be those people between whom you place your wudda, Ya Allah. And Ya Allah, we ask that you save us from every type of arrogance, every type of pride. Ya Allah, we want to view ourselves as nothing, Ya Allah, as less than others, Ya Allah. We want to treat others better than us, Ya Allah. Remove every single drop of ujub, kibr, and takabr from our heart. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we will not be able to go to Jahannam, Ya Allah. We cannot even handle the heat of this world, Ya Rabbi Kareem. How will we be able to handle the heat of the fire of Jahannam? Ya Allah, remove it from our heart in this world. Purify us in this world before we stand in front of you on that day. And Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask that you make us strong in controlling our anger, strong in suppressing our anger, strong in swallowing our anger. Ya Rabbi Kareem, let us never even feel any unjustifiable anger. And Ya Rabbi Kareem, whenever we are wronged and provoked, and when real justifiable anger quells up inside us, let us swallow it for your sake, suppress it for your sake, ignore it for your sake. Let us do amal on each and every ayah of Quran. Let us become those qadimin al-ghayz. Let us become those afin al-nas. Ya Allah, let us be forgiving towards one another. Ya Allah, up till now in the past, if we have ever hurt anyone, Ya Allah, we ask that you forgive us for the hurt that we caused. We ask that you mend their hearts. We ask that you put in their hearts a forgiveness for us. Ya Allah, we ask you to undo the harm that we have caused. Ya Allah, just like the weak, go to the strong and ask them to undo the mistakes they made. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we are zaif and you are qawi. Ya Allah, we have made many mistakes in our life. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask that you undo them, Ya Allah. We ask that you forgive them, Ya Allah. We ask that you erase them, Ya Allah. And the distance that came between us, Ya Allah, we ask that you bridge that gap, Ya Allah. Send your hidayah upon us once again. Grant us your qurb once again. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask that you accept our du'as and make us a people who follow this path of tazkiyah, this path of purification, the path of zikr, Ya Allah. Rabbana taqabbal minna innaka anta samiyul alim wa tubu alayna innaka anta tubabu rahim wa sallallahu ta'ala ala habibihi Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in bi rahmatika ya arhamar rahimin.